Welcome to Radio Beacon, the podcast of Beacon Communications. I'm Dan Kittredge, editor of the Cranston Herald. I am flying solo this week. Jake Morocco, the editor of the Johnson Sunrise, normally joins me. He's on vacation. He'll be back Monday. Um, but uh, this is the first in a uh, series of uh, um, that we've been off for, for a couple weeks, but uh, we should be back with regular episodes soon. Um, this episode is the first in a series, uh, as I mentioned, that uh, I'm going to start releasing. Um, I've been sitting down and doing some in-depth uh, conversations with the candidates for mayor in Cranston, as well as the uh, four Democrats who are running citywide for the Cranston City Council this year. Um, the, uh, as, as a lot of listeners and readers are likely familiar at this point, on the Republican side of the mayoral field uh, to succeed Mayor Fung, who is term limited, uh, will have served 12 years when his term expires. Um, so we're in for a, a big uh, a big change in leadership at City Hall. On the Republican side, to succeed him are City Council President Mike Farina and Citywide Councilman Ken Hopkins. On the Democratic side, we've got uh, a three-way primary between uh, Citywide Councilman Steve Stikos, former Ward 4 Councilwoman Maria Bucci, and Adam Carbone. Um, then on the citywide side for the Democrats uh, on the council, um, there are four candidates, as I said, running for three available spots on the November election ballot. They include current school committee member and former uh, city councilman Paul Arquetto, um, Dylan Zalazzo, Larry Warner, and Jessica Marino. Um, so I have uh, um, spoken to most of the candidates as I'm recording this now on Friday, August 7th. I actually just wrapped up a conversation with Larry Warner, um, who I got to meet for the first time. That was great. Um, but anyway, the, uh, the first installment uh, today I'll be releasing, I'll actually be doing a two-parter. Uh, the first will be with, I'm, I'm releasing them in the order in which I've gotten a chance to speak with these folks. Um, we're starting with the mayoral race, and we are, uh, first up will be my conversation with Ken Hopkins. Um, he was very generous with his time, and we had a really interesting conversation. He got into some, uh, some, uh, some interesting detail about um, getting into the race and how he views the race, and uh, it's obviously uh, to two readers of the Herald and people who have been following the uh, the race at this point, um, certainly no secret that, uh, that between Councilman Hopkins and Council President Farina, it has gotten pretty contentious. They are not pulling a lot of punches. They are uh, sparring quite frequently. Um, I am getting a, a pretty steady stream of statements and press releases from them, uh, largely focused on the other with, uh, you know, coming uh, with, with some criticism. Um, so they, they are... Uh, it has been an active campaign between the two of them. On the Democratic side, it's been a little bit of a contrast, at least in terms of the what, um, you know, what's coming my way and how the how the race is getting. Uh, there's there's less uh, conflict um, between the candidates that's becoming public, at least. Um, you know, the, I've uh, have yet to speak with Maria. Will be soon. Um, the other, the second interview that I'll be uh, releasing today is uh, my conversation with Steve Stikos. So if you're listening to this, uh, to hear from Councilman Hopkins, uh, be sure to check out um, my interview with Councilman Stikos that will be released shortly thereafter. And go back and check out uh, our, my previous conversation with Adam Carbone, 
who is a very interesting guy. He's running a very unconventional, um, I think he acknowledges that it's a bit performance art, kind of inspired by the perennial candidate and, uh, and performance artist Vermin Supreme, who some, some listeners might know. Uh, so he, he's, he's an interesting guy. Um, again, I'm recording this on the, the 7th. I'll actually be sitting down with Council President Farina on Monday, this coming Monday, so we'll have him um, coming up soon uh, to hear from him. And uh, I will be speaking with Councilwoman, former Councilwoman Bucci as well very shortly. Um, we usually, Jake and I, start off the episodes with a, a brief news rundown. I won't uh, get too deep on that. The, uh, in Cranston, the biggest uh, news has been this uh, proposed uh, development at the, uh, the site currently occupied by Mulligan's Island. And the last time Jake and I recorded, it was... Uh, um, actually, on that Friday afternoon, was just kind of emerging um, this story. Um, so I did make a note of it then, and in the week since, it has uh, really mushroomed and, and fleshed out quite a bit. Um, the plans have been formally introduced, and uh, the proposal, um, while the formal documents don't say it, it's been confirmed that it's a Costco uh, wholesale club that the, this Massachusetts-based developer, Coastal Properties, is looking to place at the at the uh, Mulligan's Island site. It has uh, predictably been, uh, you know, there have been rumors of Costco coming to the Sakonasset area um, for a few years now, and the different starts and stops with with uh, that possibility. Um, this is the most uh, real I think it's been, and the furthest it's gotten along in the process. Um, and predictably, it has. Um, raised a lot of alarms among neighbors and uh, there's a pretty active group um, working uh, working against it I believe it's the uh, Cranston residence for smart development I believe is the name of the organization um, and there is a site visit uh, scheduled um, for the, the the following Tuesday here um, yeah Cranston neighbors for for smart development forgive me um, and there'll be a joint site visit between the council and the planning commission on uh, on Tuesday the 11th, which I will be at, and uh, I believe that'll be uh, there'll be a remote viewing option for the public as part of that as well to check out. So we'll be following that story very very closely in the weeks ahead. Its timing, obviously, in the midst of the campaign, makes it uh, kind of doubly charged. So um, stick with us for more coverage of that. Um, check out. Uh, this week's edition of the Herald and, and the recent papers, certainly to get your fix of what's going on in the, the local political scene and some of the uh, um, the debates and the, the aforementioned sparring between the GOP hopefuls, particularly uh, to get to get your background on that. Um, obviously, we are still in the midst of this COVID nineteen crisis and uh, um, the, the state is the, still in phase three at this point. There are these little. Uh, you know, little spikes going on in the daily case counts and um, that have the cause for, for some concern. So, um, and we are closely tracking uh, uh, as well the school reopening plan um, and waiting word from, from the governor uh, on how school is going to look um, when August 31st rolls around, which is the target date for reopening. Um, we will see. And Cranston's plan, as submitted, basically said uh, that full in-person learning would not be possible. Um, that uh, because of space and social distancing constraints and safety issues, and uh, 
all of that. Um, I know the district has been circulating a, uh, a questionnaire um, asking families whether there is an option now. The governor said this last week for, you know, to start the year, um, families can opt out and do distance learning completely, at least to start the year. So Cranston is collecting the data on that. I do not envy the task before uh, uh, school administrators and um, uh, you know, the leaders at the state level as well, and certainly um, for families who are trying to plan for all of this and, and, uh, and, and grapple with it. Um, you know, our thoughts go out uh, as well, because this is not an easy time. And uh, we hope that there's some more certainty uh, going forward here in short order and that, um, you know, we know how, uh, certainly I think what everyone can agree on is that the best place for uh, kids to be learning is in school. You know, there's not really a substitute for that. So um, obviously with the safety being paramount, we hope that there's a way that, uh, that we can, uh, you know, get kids back into classrooms, but uh, we'll see how things go. At any rate, I'll stop rambling now and we'll go to my conversation with Citywide Councilman Ken Hopkins, Republican candidate for mayor. Um, and uh, from there we'll sign out, but uh, in short order, check back um, to hear my interview with Citywide Councilman Steve Stikos, Democratic candidate for mayor as well. So here's my conversation with Ken Hopkins. Pleasure, Dan. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here. Um, I guess I wanted to start out first off. You you said in, in 2019 that you had decided against the run for mayor, and mm -hmm. uh, you were going to focus on recruiting council candidates when I did the, the council presidency. What changed your thinking? What what changed over? Well, f nothing really changed it. I I had always thought about doing this. I had a conversation with Councilman Farina, maybe about five years ago. Mm -hmm that sooner or later, one of these days, we both had the same ambitions and we were gonna to come to a head. But uh, the first thing I did was I stuck to my words and I went out and recruited. And it was like coaching baseball at the college. I recruited uh, Matt Riley and Nicole Renzulli and Zach Saylor and Bob Ferry. And I was out there on my own, really putting together this real nice young team of, of Republicans. And, with the focus that if I was gonna be the mayor, I would really like to have a good team of young people behind me and, and supporting me. So I did that first. And then the question about changing my mind, uh, and again, I don't make any excuses for doing that. Uh, I originally came out and said I was gonna support Mike Farina, but at the time my wife was sick uh, and I didn't feel like I would have that opportunity to, uh, to run for mayor. And uh, so I did, I came out and supported him. I went to his fundraisers. Uh, although the second fundraiser, I didn't stand up with him when he made his announcement in January. Uh, Cause by that point I had been through eight months of hell. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, when my wife passed away before Christmas, 
it, it was devastating. It was a kick in the gut to me. And uh, that's what, really what changed things. I mean, her and I had always talked about me doing this, and she was my biggest supporter. And uh, then I talked to my kids about it. And uh, I decided to go down to Florida, January, February, and March, three different trips, just to clear my head, figure out what my life was going to be like without her, and kind of move in a, in a new direction. I had bills to pay, and I, I didn't pay a bill for 42 years in my house. Yeah. And then, uh, that's why I married a math teacher. <laughs> and uh, it, I came back, and I had to figure out all these codes and pay all these bills and kind of clear everything up and, and then go through the grieving process and, and take care of my kids. That was my responsibility my three kids and my, my grandkids. And uh, after the last trip to Florida, I came back and I sat down with Mayor Traficanti, Mayor Fung, and the former police chief, uh, Kenny Mancuso. And uh, they really wanted me to do this. And uh, they, I told them I'd take some time, but I was really listening. I wanted to hear what people were looking for. And the sense that I got was they weren't comfortable with the choices they had. And then I looked at it and said, I'm 65 years old. If I have to wait eight years for Mike Farina to go through his two campaigns, I'm going to be 72 and I'll never have the same opportunity again. So I called them all back and we met for breakfast and I said, I'm ready. I'll, let's do this. And where do we take it from here? Well, obviously we had to organize, we had to fundraise, and we had to do a poll. And, and that's how we started. We started that in, uh, towards the end of March. And uh, at that point, I was firmly convinced that the people in Cranston that I was talking to, once they heard that I was going to do this, I'm not bragging about it, but I felt a sense of excitement that I wasn't sensing, they were very skeptical about the council president because of some of the things that he had done and uh, the fact that he had been a Democrat and switched over to the Republican side. There, there wasn't really this true passion for working for him or getting behind him. And I felt that people were willing to do that for me. So uh, we, we organized a volunteer list, uh, which ended up over 300 people that are working on the campaign in one way or another, stuffing envelopes or getting ready to walk door to door and uh, just spreading the word, sharing the ideas that I have. And uh, that's basically what happened, yeah. you know? And when people have asked me pretty bluntly, you know, why did you change your mind? And I said, because my wife died, you know? And, and you don't know what that's like until you go through it. And uh, you don't have to make an excuse for it. Uh, and I'm not using that to get sympathy. I'm just saying why I changed my mind. Because I now had the opportunity where I didn't have to take care of her. And we were going back to Boston, to Dana-Farber, uh, three days a week. And I just didn't have the time to focus on doing what I'm doing now. And now I've got all time in the world. You know, and... Uh, as much as I loved the coaching and the baseball and whatnot, uh, this this was uh, 
the opportunity, the door opened, sure. so to speak. And a uh, great friend of mine was Catherine Carlo. She used to be the uh, superintendent of schools in Cranston, great educator. And we always used to talk about how coaching and teaching and education were one and the same. And Like I used to tell her, I don't want my number nine hitter to strike out all the time. I want my number nine hitter to be just as successful as my number three hitter. And that same concept I took into the classroom. And, and she gave me some advice one time. She said, you know, sometimes you look at uh, a difficult situation and some people take it the wrong way. What you've got to do is look at it as an opportunity. And that's what I did with this. It was a difficult situation, but I listened to her words ringing, kind of resonating in my head. And I said, you know what? This is the perfect opportunity where everything's going to come together. Uh, I've got something to do every day now, something to look forward to so that I can get really get passionate about. And uh, I don't need the money. <laughs> it's, it's not, you saw that in my vote. I don't need the money. I mean, I, I'm pretty well set with that. Uh, I'm by myself. Uh, I've got my family and my kids around me. And they're all on board, yeah. my whole family. And that's a pretty big network. You know, you're not gonna get just me as mayor. You're gonna get the, the Hopkins family, the brand, our friends, our neighbors, and that goes pretty deep in Cranston. Uh, to segue a little bit, you, you, speaking of your network, you have a pretty extensive network for your, from your coaching, your time as the athletic mm -hmm. director and as a teacher and you've branded yourself the education candidate. Sure. Um, I was hoping you could expand a little bit upon, uh, on what you're looking for for the schools. I know they're, they're in a difficult position right now with um, the uncertainty they're facing around state aid and stuff and looking forward. They sure. have this, this big facilities project on the horizon. What, what is that education candidate and being the education mayor vision kind of encompass? Yeah. We need to modernize, yeah. modernize our approach to teaching uh, I've got a master's degree in education, and I went back when I was 50 years old to get that. I was already certified as an athletic director. I was certified as a teacher, but I really wanted to be the best that I could be. So I, I went back and, in that age 50, went back and got my master's degree in education. And, and it centers around open classrooms, student learning, student-centered teaching, which is completely opposite of the cell block, cell block approach, which is, you know, five rows, six chairs in a row, and everybody's in nice order. Uh, what, they, what they try to preach is that when you work in small groups, that's what you're going to be doing in the work world. So the educational process now becomes student-centered, where I come in and maybe throw out a couple of questions and let the kids figure it out, and then they'll teach each other and then you move on to the next question. So they have a better understanding, and I think the fact that they're part of the process as opposed to regurgitating information, which is what you get in a lot of situations. But 21st century learning is the open classroom concept. Uh, I was very much behind that, working on the school buildings committee, representing the council uh, with Eden Park School. That was the, the experiment. And once I went through it, I'm like, this is how I taught 
but I didn't have this type of environment. I had to kind of mimic that environment. Now when we go through the schools, there's a plan in place now where we can work with RIDE. Uh, the opportunity is fantastic financially because we can get between 65 and 70 cents on the dollar if we follow RIDE's suggestions. And I've met with a superintendent who's a great friend of mine on numerous occasions and sat down and discussed this entire process on taking certain schools that need it first and then moving through the entire city. And uh, uh, I'm going to be their biggest booster on this bond referendum because we need it. Uh, there's a direct correlation between great schools, great communities, and, uh, and, and uh, a business community that wants to move into Cranston. People will be attractive to the city if they have great infrastructure, safety, and good schools. And if you look at East Greenwich, Barrington, North Kingston, Smithfield, that's what they've done. And Cranston has been behind the curve for a long time. And we need to modernize our schools first in the way we teach. So that's, that's my expertise, that's my strength uh, coming in as a new mayor. Looking at the, the budget picture for the coming year, I know your opponent, uh, Council President Farina, was critical of the mayor's plan, and others have been critical as well, questioning some of the revenue assumptions that are included. And mm -hmm. I know you were pretty, you know, you, you defended the mayor's plan, you stood by it um, early on there. Has your thinking on the, the city's financial picture moving forward changed? What do you see ahead in the next year? Do you think that budget is is uh, going to require a lot of overhaul going forward? Well, being, being a, a coach and studying cyber metrics and statistics, all I have to do is look at what Mayor Fung has done in the last 10 years. I mean, he's been pretty right on with keeping taxes stable, attracting new businesses to come in, and keeping the budget on an even keel. Uh, I'm not going to go out there and and uh, expand these projects and take gambles like my opponent said. I mean, he, he completely uh, lost my confidence when he came out and said, I'm going to take chances with the budget. And I don't think he can do that. I think you have to be fiscally conservative with people's money. You have to attract new businesses to come in. And I look at the mayor's track record, and I want to continue that. Uh, I mean, there's no sense in changing the wheel after you've had success under this mayor. And uh, even people in his administration, uh, Bob Strom's a perfect example. I've asked Bob to stay on. I don't want to change that position. He's done a great job managing the budget. Uh, my campaign manager is uh, Anthony Moretti, who's a CPA. So one of the things I've learned is that studying Machiavelli, <laughs> You don't know everything, yeah. and I'm going to go into this job with an open mind. I'm going to surround myself with the best people I can find, know that my strengths are on the educational side. I'm going to hire people that are financial experts, and I'm going to continue with the process of what Alan Fung has done. You're not going to see much change when it comes to the finances. Uh, and hopefully I think that stableness is what people are looking for. I know they're looking for the maturity factor. They want somebody who's going to come in and protect them, 
public safety will be at the top of my list. Uh, I will definitely support the police department. I will not defund them. I will defend them uh, to the utmost. And if we have a safe society with good schools and a good infrastructure, a good tax base, uh, good businesses want, will want to come in. And people will want to move. We see it on the eastern side of the city right now. There's a huge influx of young families moving into the eastern side. And you can look at the numbers at uh, Cranston East, for example, has 1,800 students. Cranston West has about 1,500. So we see the increase on the eastern side more so. And, and that has to be addressed. There are some issues over there that need to be addressed that have been neglected. Uh, starting with the school buildings. They need to, need to change. Gladstone's a good example. That school's going to be completely wiped out. And a brand new school's going to be built right on the same spot. Uh, Garden City is next for a renovation, which is my district uh, where I live. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to those changes. I think we need that. Could you talk a little bit more about your, your relationship with the mayor and I guess reflect too maybe a little bit on, you know, from his record, I know you'd say you want to preserve that record of financial management and stability. Mm -hmm. Are there aspects of his record where you think he could have done better? Well, you know, he, he really cares about Cranston, and I think that's where we're very similar. Uh, you know, you'll see us both on the sidelines of football games. doesn't matter whether it's East or West playing or, or at basketball events or band competitions. We're actively involved because we really care about the city. Uh, and I think that's his greatest uh, uh, attribute, the fact that, I mean, uh, I've... <laughs> I've made light of it that when I go uh, knocking door to door with them, I feel like I'm with the Beatles. Because yeah. people get excited when they see him. But at, right now, I feel like I'm Ringo. <laughs> you know, he's the head of the band, but I'm in the band. But, uh, but I'm getting there. Uh, and I've noticed that part of it. Uh, we have a great working relationship being on the council. Uh, and I think that sets, us, sets me apart from my opponent. They haven't talked in a year. And that's dangerous when you have the mayor of the city and the city council president not communicating with each other. To me, that, that shows a, uh, a lack of maturity uh, on my opponent's part. I mean, you're not going to agree on everything. So what you've got to do is sit down and come up with the best compromise that works for everybody. What's best for the people? The perfect example is uh, the Cumberland Farms issue when I first got on the council. Uh, I studied it. I did my homework. And being the education mayor, I do my homework before I come out with my answers. And they were pushing and pushing and pushing to develop that corner and make, a, a, make it a business over there. But the business I didn't like. I didn't think that Cumberland Farms fit. I didn't think the neighbors wanted it. But the one thing that really set in my mind was compassion for the kids that lived on the one street behind it. Uh, and in my studies, there's a, a chemical called benzene, which is a cancer-causing agent. And it's real strong when it travels an area up to 300 feet. 
it, then it up until that point it doesn't dissipate into the air and there's a, a known fact that young children can catch childhood leukemia if they are breathing that well there's 11 kids that live on the street right behind where that gas station was going to go in even though it would have looked nicer it would have been a, a economic stimulus for the city uh, I, I had compassion for those kids and I wasn't going to put my head on the pillow at night knowing that if one of those kids got sick because of the benzene then I couldn't have slept that night and ironically right after that if you look back and there was a nine to nothing vote where I passed an ordinance that no new gas stations can be built in Cranston where there were houses within 300 feet and that passed unanimously and bipartisan so they, they kind of listened to what I was saying. The political side of it is they tried to convince me to change my mind and I wouldn't. So I opposed the mayor on that issue, just like I did on the Doric Avenue issue. I opposed him on it. And I had more of an opportunity as I got to know him to convince him that the Doric Avenue privatization was not gonna be a good one. And they pulled that one. So that never went through. Uh, the one at uh, Cumberland Farms got pulled the night we were supposed to vote only because they weren't convinced on how I was going to vote. But the people knew. You know, and my opponent's actually taking credit for not building it, but he was the proponent with the judge, John Bolton, who was representing Cumberland Farms. They pulled it, yeah, but they can't claim that they are the ones that were responsible for it. You know, if they knew that I was going to vote for it, it would have come out for a vote. But the people know. Yeah. That segues to the issue of development more broadly. There's mm -hmm. been a few of these issues and controversies, the solar developments in Western Cranston, the, the Top Golf, I guess, wasn't ultimately as controversial. Now there's this proposed development in Mulligan's Island, apparently at Costco. Um, this is a, it's a pretty, I guess, probably too broad of a question, but the, on the, mayor, the mayor's record, some have criticized his record on economic development, suggesting that he's focused too much on, you know, larger projects, the Chapel View, the Garden City side, without as much emphasis as maybe should have been placed on, you know, Main Street businesses, you know, empty storefronts sure. and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, coupled with the administration's approach and, and I guess more broadly, you know, some of these larger issues like the solar development, like this Costco project. Mm -hmm. I guess what, what is your, your vision for development in the city, economic development and, and zoning and, and how the city should handle these kind of projects? Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big believer that you need to vet the process openly there's no nothing hidden no hidden agenda everything needs to be out on the table even if you have to have an auditorium filled with a thousand neighbors let them voice their opinion don't just try to slide it by try to put it through uh, without them having a voice I mean it's I'm a former civics teacher of the people by the people and for the people and I firmly believe in that in that for example, when you look at Top Golf, that was my neighborhood. 
the people that were over there, I brought them into meetings with the architect. I showed them the infrastructure, how it was all, the traffic pattern was going to change. I showed them how the Tiger Grant from the federal government was going to put new off-ramps into that area. With the combination of losing the traffic from citizens, how we were going to redevelop that area. And uh, I led the charge on it, even though the neighbors were skeptical. I showed them enough information, and then I went and met with every single member of the council. And again, we came out with a nine to nothing vote in favor of that. Now that's good economic development. It vetted the process, the people were involved, and then we had to make a decision. Not everybody's gonna agree with the decisions that are made, but I always go back to you know $1.5 million in tax revenue from one company plus multiple jobs at the seventy to $90,000 range, that's going to attract a lot of people from Cranston to like that facility. It keeps their taxes down. Now, if we can get more places like that, I'd love it. But again, I want the process to be vetted so that the people that live in the area have a vested interest in it. And uh, I think the Top Golf's a tremendous one. Uh, I have a vision for Rolf Street. Uh, you've heard me at, at council meetings talk about uh, the Rolf Street revitalization plan. The place hasn't been touched in, since Traffic Canty was mayor. It needs to be cleaned up. It needs to. There are vacant stores in there. My vision is Main Street in East Greenwich, uh, Main Street in Appenog, with the the lanterns that could be solar, so there's no energy cost. Uh, we can put solar lights all the way down the city, uh, down the street of Rolf Street. That will attract new businesses. Uh, people get excited when they hear my proposals about that. You know, I can picture the lanterns with the, the banners, welcome to Rolf Street and the flower pots and, and the outdoor cafes. Uh, I think it can be a real, real nice destination for the people in, in Ward 2. And other people in Cranston, similar to what Knightsville is like, we need to do that in Ward 2. And we've got other projects in Knightsville that we're working on. Uh, the original site for City Hall, which is behind the gazebo, that's all going to be redeveloped into a park. Yeah. Uh, but there are projects that we're working on for economic development that the, the neighbors will get behind. Now, the one elephant in the room now is Costco. Yeah. And I was originally the athletic director when... Mulligans was put in and I spoke publicly at many many meetings to encourage that to to go to make it a go and The people came in and they liked it. All they wanted was a buffer zone between that neighborhood and back and Mulligans and it, it was worked out perfect well again doing my homework what I'm finding out is that the owner of the property is in a financial bind and he has to sell the place now who does he sell it to and what changes take place have to go through that vetting process you need the city plan to come in you need the planning commission planning board the commission to approve or disapprove of what the new plans are you need the neighbors to come in and look at it now again Costco who wouldn't want to have a Costco in their city because of the revenue that you're gonna get. It controls the tax base. 
but at what expense? How do you balance that? And what I'm doing now is meeting with the neighbors. I'm talking to them to get their opinion. I want to make sure that the, the process is open and honest, that it's not shoved down their throat. And ironically, it's the same lawyer that I dealt with in the Cumberland Farms case, who is now uh, a big uh, proponent of my opponent. Uh, and they've worked together on a number of occasions. Uh, and I've just felt that they were trying to push it through without get letting the process take place. And uh, I mean, I went on the interview with Gene Valisanti the other day and got the same question and gave the same response. You know, if it's good for the neighbors and good for Cranston and good for, for the environment, we'll go with it. But we don't know that until we vet the entire process. Uh, I'm a member of Costco, so yeah, I, I go up to Dedham. And I like the store, it's a great store. But where does it fit is the question. And you have to listen to everybody. Uh, and as a coach over the years, I always tell my players and my students, you learn more when you make mistakes and you learn more when you listen. You don't learn when you're talking. <laughs> you know, you learn when you listen. So I'm, I'm a pretty good listener. To the, to the campaign a little bit, it, it's gotten contentious between you and Mike Farina. Are, are you concerned about party unity at this point and will you support him if he's the primary you know, if he wins the primary. He's not going to win. I'm going to win. Fair. I'm going to win the primary. Uh, I, I can feel that. Uh, as a coach all these years, I've understood that there's a fine line between winning and losing. There's not much difference between the two. And if I stay on the path that I'm on, I feel confident enough that I'm going to win. Uh, whoever the Republican candidate is, I will support. I will support. But I'll, I'm pretty confident it's going to be me. In terms of the council, uh, you spoke a little bit about your role in recruiting some candidates. It's going to be a very different council next year with five new, mm -hmm. uh, new members. Um, how important to it, is it to you that it be a Republican council? And what's kind of your view of the, is, is, it, is the council going to be in good hands going forward with some younger, more recent members? Yeah. Uh, number one, they're energetic. Number two, they really care. Uh, to get that combination is, is real uh, positive in my book. But just holding the majority, uh, unless it works with the administration, it doesn't make any difference. You know, if you're not going to work with the administration, what's the sense of having the majority? You know, right now we hold the 5 4 majority, yet the council president doesn't talk to the mayor. So it really doesn't make much sense. Although you can control a lot of the committees. Uh, I'm, I'm real solid with, uh, with whoever is on the, the council. Uh, I think people know that Paul McCauley was probably my best friend yeah. on the council and I was appalled by the way he was treated. And I'm probably gonna speak up on that at the next council meeting. Uh, again, the way he was treated. Uh, and we lost a very, very good public servant who's a good, caring man for Ward too. Uh, and I'm passionate about that, that it didn't have to be, end up this way. You know, and if we had better leadership from the council president, 
this never would have happened. So, uh, and I, I think when the rest of the council talked about it, you can hear the passion in their voice that we wanted him back. And it never should have gotten to that. I think that the uh, solicitor was wrong in, in attacking and making accusations towards a councilman. I mean, the, the solicitor works for us. We don't work for him. You wouldn't talk to, uh, to your boss that way. You wouldn't go up and start chastising him and saying that there's a potential for you to com be committing a felony. I mean, that's not giving uh, legal advice. That's giving political scare tactics. And the way Paul was treated was totally unfair. Should never have happened. Have you asked him for his endorsement? There'll be an announcement coming out soon. Um, another slight pivot, I guess, to, to ask, what's your view of how the governor and the mayor have handled the pandemic? Um, you know, things have obviously improved a lot here in, in mm -hmm. the state, and the city's buildings are starting to slowly reopen. Where do you think we are, and, and uh, how will you, you know, assuming this issue will still be, you know, one that's on the, that we have to deal with, yeah. you know? Yeah, going through the, the chain of command, Alan has communicated to us every single day. Every day I get a COVID update from him. So there is nothing missing. He gives us the numbers. He gives us the plan. He tells us what's happening. And he has communicated a thousand percent with us. So we know exactly what's happening. As far as the governor, I think she's done a fantastic job uh, in handling the crisis. Uh, parties aside, you know, and I think you've got to take parties and put them aside when you have a pandemic. It's like having a natural disaster, a hurricane or a tornado that whips through the city or a major snowstorm. You put politics aside when that happens and you do what's best for the people. And I think she's done a great job. I did tell one of her aides one time that familiarity breeds contempt and the way she was making her delivery was the same way over and over and over and people were starting to tune out of it and at that point if you notice they switched gears and moved to different locations they had the doctor uh, give more information and it wasn't the same boring repetitious delivery and I think she listened and took that advice uh, and I think she's done a good job and you can tell by the numbers uh, now Am I convinced that the numbers are accurate? No, because I've talked with people that, that work at the hospitals as well. And the, for example, one, one day the other, this past week, there were only three admissions into Rhode Island Hospital. Two of them came from nursing homes, and the other one was an elderly person. Uh, to, to use the scare tactic uh, to make the economy fail, to make the president look bad, I'm not sure if that's a good thing. And I don't know if that's their intent, but being a skeptic, it kind of looks that way. Uh, I don't see, uh, and again, I know she's on the, the Biden uh, team. She's part of the re-election, the election campaign for, for Biden. Uh, and I'd be the first to admit that I cross over to both sides of the aisle on all of my votes based on what I think is best. Uh, but I do have some concerns about the politics of, of the COVID. And 
Uh, I mean, we've, we've built that uh, hospital over at Citizens. Over $2 million in rent being paid to Copianatos, and it's never used. It hasn't been used. It was prepared in case we had a pandemic that we needed the extra beds, but that was a little uh, over-preparedness. You can over-prepare sometimes, too. And we, we haven't, I think there was another one, was it at Rick or one of the colleges that they closed it because they're not using it. And that they're not using this one either. I'd rather see the economic development taking place in, uh, Copianalos isn't gonna go after it real quick because they're getting $2 million in rent. So they're just delaying the building of Topgolf. Uh, but other than that, I, I think she's very well-spoken, very educated. Uh, she's got a good, seems to have a good team around her. Uh, yeah, I, I think she's done a pretty good job. So people are going to ask this or want to, I mean, about the presidential election. Are, mm -hmm. you're, you're supporting the president? I support the Republican candidate and the office of the presidency. I have a lot of respect for that. Uh, who I'm going to vote for, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm leaning towards Trump uh, because he's a Republican and I believe in a lot of the Republican platform. But at the same time, I have a very difficult time when he, uh, when he comes out with certain comments. Uh, I don't like the bully tactics. I don't like the ridicule of people. Uh, that's not my style. Uh, but I do believe in the Republican agenda, and I, I believe in the office of the presidency, and it should be one of respect. And I think sometimes coming from where he came from, he didn't show the respect that the office deserves. Uh, but I th right now, uh, well, we still get a few more months to see how everything goes. Uh, I think he's done a good job with this pandemic. Uh, Obviously, he, he's commu a communicator, sometimes too much, you know, sometimes he should just sit back and, uh, but he doesn't, that's his style, you know. I'm not saying that's my style. I would be more of a John, John McCain moderate, maybe a Reagan moderate, uh, maybe a Kennedy moderate, <laughs> uh, listen to both sides and, uh, I don't see how the national level is going to have a major impact on the city of Cranston. Oh, it's, it's uh, just, you know, yeah, it, there you is know a, how charged it is yeah. and people are going to... There's a trickle-down effect when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, the federal government giving money to the state and then the state giving the money to the cities and towns. Uh, I think the one mistake the state made was they didn't convene until recently. I mean, we haven't missed a meeting all, all summer. We had uh, virtual meetings. Why couldn't they do that at the state house? I think there was a, a clear reason why they didn't. And it had to do with uh, the economy. You know, and, this, and as a result, we have certain mandates to live by in terms of giving this, the school department their budget. But at the same time, we can't give them a budget if we don't have the money to do it without raising taxes. So who, how do you balance that? Uh, if we gave the schools $4.1 million that they were asking for, well then we were obligated 
to do that for perpetuity, which isn't fair to the taxpayers. But at the same time, I want to give the schools what they need to get the job done. But I've also got to be concerned about the taxpayers as well. So, and that comes from that trickle-down effect from federal to state to local. But I think when it's all said and done, we'll be okay. Uh, I hope another stimulus package comes out. I know they're talking about that at the federal level. And uh, I, I love Jack Reed. I think he's a, his politics is something that I could aspire to governmentally, fiscally. I don't believe in all of his, his uh, social values, his social views. But politically, he's done a good job for Rhode Island, getting us money that we need. Uh, so I'm, I'm a big believer that we should be fiscally conservative with taxpayers' money, yet more socially liberal so that we're not interfering with people's, uh, what's going on in their houses. It's none of my business. It's none of government's business. You know, they can do what they want in their house. It's their property. They've got the right. If they want to own a gun, I'm a Second Amendment believer. Uh, that's, that's their right based on the Constitution. But it's none of my business. So people ask me, are you a Republican or a Democrat? And I would say, um, um, politically, on one side of the coin, and socially, on the other side of the coin. And you know, being a moderate is not being a scapegoat. It's listening to both sides and then coming up with what you think is best. You were kind enough to uh, share a palm card in your first mailer. How are you uh, approaching the campaign in this, you know, with social distancing, with mm -hmm. a lot of the usual trappings of a campaign, going door to door, that kind of thing, are, are a little bit harder this time around? Yeah, yeah, you have to think out of the box, definitely. Uh, what I do a lot is obviously social media. Uh, when I came out with my announcement, typically we would have had a, uh, a dinner at Cranston Country Club with a band playing and a host of speakers and then I'd get up and speak and you'd probably be lucky to have 300 people at the announcement well I worked with the mayor a speechwriter, and a videographer and put together a package and put my announcement on social media and got over 10,000 hits 10,000 views so right away the, the light bulb went on that People are paying attention, and you have to use that as a vehicle to get your message out there. So we developed, a, I think, a pretty professional website. Uh, we've done fundraising through PayPal, and people have donated through that. Uh, we've done a lot of mailings. Uh, we just sent out our second fundraiser mailing. We've targeted 1,200 people that have donated in the past to the Republican, myself, the mayor, Mayor Trafficanti, and We've got a pretty good volunteer list of people that uh, we've got a second fundraiser. The first one was just asking for donations to get us started. And we did pretty well. We did pretty well with that. Uh, now we're asking for a smaller donation, a $50 one. We're going to host uh, a dinner next week at Marchetti's. But we're going to do it in smaller groups, and we're going to do it in two sessions rather than one session. And uh, this can attract a lot of people that may not want to be big contributors, but if they want to you know, kick in 50 or 100 bucks, that'll still help us get through the primary. 
and uh, and kind of lead us into the general election. I think whoever wins the primary, you'll start to see that people will jump on board and more donations will come in at that point. Uh, as far as campaigning, the old door-to-door -door trick, uh, we, we have to target. We have to be very, very specific about whose door we ring. Hopefully they're former supporters that have voted, uh, particularly Republicans that have voted in the last couple of elections. So we've created a voter list, an ID list, and we've targeted them as opposed to just walking down a street and passing out lit drops. We've, we've got a targeted audience right now. Uh, signage has been, it's everywhere. Yeah. I've been very, very fortunate uh, to have a network of people that are both willing to help me put the signs up I've got one team, that's all they do. And in fact, they were out this, this morning putting signs up in key locations. But uh, I think this separates us too, as far as Republicans. Uh, my opponents are on a business that supports me or property of people that support me. My opponent's signs, if you look at most of them, they're on Capionato's properties. Burger King's properties, which is Capionato and Janicki, or empty lots. <laughs> There's not a lot of connection between him and a network of people. And I think that separates us. I think if I have 500 signs out there right now, there are 500 households that are supporting me. They're not on one business or one empty lot. Uh, so I think that's where the Hopkins brand, that network, is out there. Uh, we give out T-shirts to all, all of our volunteers. Uh, it's funny, when my brother wears one over the Stop and Shop, a lot of people think it's me. <laughs> and he'll, he'll walk out of there after two hours of shopping and talk to 100, 200 people, you know, because he's wearing the shirt. So, uh, and the, the late, latest thing I've been doing is targeting certain parts of the city and I parked my van, uh, which is a whole other subject that we can talk about, the H train. Yeah. Uh, but we, we park at the beginning of the neighborhood uh, when people are coming home from work at night. And I just have my signage there and I just keep my social distance and I wave. And some people wave and they're very enthusiastic and give me a thumbs up and a smile. Other people wave to me. Some people don't look. They mind their own business. Some people turn around and come back and ask for a sign. You know, and they want to talk. And I gladly stand there and talk. Yeah. And I've targeted certain neighborhoods where I've done this, and it's been very successful. And uh, the direct result is when I started the neighborhood, I had maybe a few people that were supporting me. By the end of the week, the entire neighborhood had signage, and people uh, now we're going to start to do a series of coffee hours, small groups at houses. Uh, the other thing I've done is uh, I've got a series of Saturday morning coffee houses, Dunkin' Donuts, uh, Stop and Shop, uh, Dunkin' Donuts throughout the city where I set up a table and just people coming in. Here's a palm card. Do you have any questions? Uh, 
the week that we had to get our signatures, I did that. Mm -hmm. And in two hours, I had 100 signatures oh, wow. sitting at the Dunkin' Donuts in Garden City. So you have to be innovative. Uh, you know, where we're going to go for the rest of the campaign depends on the type of funding that we have. And what we're noticing is without soliciting, more money is coming in. So to me, that's a sign that maybe things are swinging our way and people want to support somebody they think has a legitimate shot. And uh, we're starting to get that in the mailers. That would be looking, I think, the, is it the second quarter reports that are due pretty soon? Yes. Yeah, yeah. and you'll see a big increase in, in our contributions. Uh, We've jumped up. We had a certain targeted goal of, of 50,000, and we exceeded that. And uh, we've got a second goal now of 100,000 to get into the general election. So this is our next biggest fundraiser coming in, which will get us probably close to that. Uh, so we're on target fundraising-wise. And knowing that I started with under $2,000 when I first announced, because when my wife was sick last year, we didn't have any fundraisers at all. Yeah. So I went an entire cycle without raising money. And uh, then when I jumped into it, we were all in. And uh, the first thing we did was pay a big chunk of money to have a poll done. It was a professional poll, and uh, it was pretty accurate. Yeah. You wouldn't elaborate, wouldn't elaborate anymore, would you? I'm uh, I'll give you one. Okay. My dislikability was a question. It was at 2% wow. compared to my opponents. And I won't tell you what his was, but it was double figures. Uh, and that told me initially that people liked me as a person, have known me for a long time in the city. Uh, my opponent brags about the fact that he's been campaigning for this job for the last four years. Well, I was working in this city when he was born. <laughs> you know, so I could say that I've been campaigning for this job for 37 years. You know, being the athletic director, being a teacher, running camps at CLCF, coaching in Little League, coaching in Gals, coaching at CLCF, being very active in my church. I've been doing this since he was born. So... Whatever that means, uh, uh, politically, I, I really didn't start campaigning for mayor until uh, probably the beginning of April this year. April, May, June, July, four months. But I've been working at it for 40 years. Yeah. So. What's, uh, just quick, what, what are your thoughts on the Democratic field? And uh, is there a particular candidate you prefer to run against? Or? I like both of them. Uh, I like Maria's personality as a person. I think we share a lot of common uh, likability factors. Uh, I'm concerned about her experience or lack of experience in government. I know she served on the council, uh, but there are con concerns about how much time she actually put into it. But I like her as a person. I do, but. And we can figure that out if the time comes. And I wouldn't have a problem running against her. I think uh, Steve Stankos is polar opposite of me, uh, where I'm a, a moderate conservative. 
he is as far left a liberal as you're going to get progressively. Uh, and I've got a lot of respect for the service that he's done. Uh, I mean, he's been involved between the school committee, the council, and now running for mayor for 20 years. And he's never lost an election. So he's got a strong base of support. And I respect that. I've always respected him. Even though we, we don't have the same opinions, and I think you'll see if I have to run against him that we'll be polar opposites. And that will come out in a general election. Uh, but, I mean, there's certain things that he does about disrespecting the uh, Pledge of Allegiance at a, at a council meeting, you know, where he just refuses to... There was one point where he wouldn't even stand up. Not at least he stands up, but he doesn't recite it. Won't put his hand over his heart. Uh, and it's similar to the progressiveness of the Black Lives Matter movement or uh, supporting certain real far-out left-wing movements. And, uh, and I don't have a problem with the Black Lives Movement. Uh, and again, I've surrounded myself historically with, with minorities as friends, as uh, workers, co-workers, uh, as recruited athletes that I've brought in that have stayed with me. Uh, and you'll see that as part of my administration, too. I was going to say, the one yeah. issue I meant to touch on was <coughs> diversity, yeah. which has been, yeah. you know. Well, I'm the council representative along with uh, Councilwoman Vargas mm -hmm. that sits on the diversity commission. And uh, I think I bring a lot to the table. All you have to do is look at my track record and know that uh, friends, neighbors, people I've recruited for my team, I don't see color. It's, it's not an issue with me. Uh, and, and being a, an Irish kid, if you look at the history of the Irish, uh, go back into the 30s and it said, no Irish need apply. I'm not saying that the Irish immigrants were the same as the African immigrants. There's a completely different factor there. But as far as immigrants in general being persecuted when they first came, came here, in having to earn their place in society. There's a, a strong common, commonality between Irish immigrants and uh, a lot of uh, people of color, whether Hispanic or, or black. Uh, and j j look at my family. I mean, my, my grandson is Irish, Italian, Puerto Rican, and Cuban. My other grandson is Irish, Italian, and Filipino. So. I have blinders on when it comes to that stuff. What what would you do and what can the city do to make its workforce more diverse and more reflective of the community at large? I've already started to recruit qualified candidates that are minorities to work in my administration. I've already started to do that. I'm not going to wait until after the fact and say, oh, wait a minute, i got to go get some minority candidates to make me look good. No, I'm already going through that vetting that process right now as we speak how much have you built how much is the team in place at this point you know how much of your uh, my team yeah, yeah it's a work in progress uh, there are a lot of people that are sitting on the fence waiting to see who's going to come out of the primary i would suggest very strongly that they pick a team if they want to stay pick a team and you know, roll the dice with your chances. Because if they don't pick a team, that tells me that they're not 100% with us. And that means that we'd probably replace them with our team. 
in my whole life that's all I've done is build teams I'm a consensus builder both sides of the aisle I don't you you're gonna see Democrats working in my administration as well as a, a diverse administration of women and minorities and uh, as long as they get the job done I mean if I've got a doctor that's operating on my heart I don't care what he looks like or she looks like I want the best doctor that's gonna save me and my plan is to save Cranston and move it forward from what Alan Fung has done so successfully the last 10 years. I want to continue that. But, what, uh, what, what, what is day one of the Hopkins administration look like? What, uh, meet the people. Yeah. Kind of a Jacksonian democracy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to open the doors, meet the people, find out who works for the city, uh, go and sit down and have coffee and donuts with them. And, and to let them know that I want them to enjoy coming to work for the city. But there's a certain ethical standard that I'm going to hold them to because we all work for the people. And uh, they can't step over that line. But uh, I, I can picture myself walking into City Hall the first day and just sitting down with each department. And not the bosses either. You know, I, even when I taught, I, I talked to the superintendent the same way that I talked to the custodian that cleaned my classroom. And my custodian will tell you, every Christmas he got a bottle of wine and a box of cigars from me. And I had the cleanest room in the, in the school. But I would talk to him the same way I would talk respectfully to the superintendent. And that's the way I want my administration to be. That's the way I want City Hall to be. I want it to be a fun place where people look forward to coming in and, and serving the city of Cranston. And be proud of it. So, well, Councilman, thank you so much for the time, and good luck out there. My pleasure. Anytime. Thank you so much for the invite, the opportunity. Radio Beacon is a production of Beacon Communications, publisher of the Warwick Beacon, Cranston Herald, Johnston Sunrise, and Coventry Reminder newspapers. Find us online at warwickonline.com, cranstononline.com, johnstonsunrise.net. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at RhodeyBeat, R-H-O-D-Y-B-E-A-T. This podcast is hosted by Anchor Podcasts. Subscribe today on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or other podcast platforms.